0: money, you name it, they're all in there.
1: Criminal offense.
0: It's all in there. A reminder two or three times about, this is about me and drinking. So, you know, you get to the to the, your list and you make your eight-step list and then I spend some time in prayer. God, show me any harm I put out in the universe. Any harm I put out in the universe. Because this is my experience. It's an amends where I begin to see that everything is connected. And if there's harm that I put out in the universe, because I'm an agent... Whether I'm in self-will or God's will, I'm an agent. He created me in his image. I'm an agent. My experience is what I put out. If I don't clean it up, it will come back. That's my experience. Everything is connected. If you're sitting here with a whole passel of men's, I'll just take a man because I happen to be of that gender, and you have a whole bunch of, of amends that you owe to women, and you wonder why you can't have any uh, decent relationship with any woman. Why well, you can't get along with women? Why well, you still judge them or critical or use them or you're selfish or you're self-seeking?
1: How can these amends from 20 years ago have to do with anything going on today? They can't possibly be connected.
0: Mm-hmm. Give you an example Joe talked about. Because I was about 9 or 10 years sober before this happened. It had to do with that sexual inventory and, and coming out of a meditation and picking up a pad of paper and remembering a lot of incidences of when I was drinking. Not names, very clear incidences, faces, and writing all those down and knowing full well I was supposed to do something with them. Now, you don't get married and divorced four times because you have great belief systems around women, okay? And I knew I had to do something, so what I did was I mean, these, you got to remember, I'm not even working with names. I don't have names to work with. So I wrote letters to the spirits of all these women, and then what I did is I set up an appointment with a woman because that's where the harm is, and I went and I read every one of these uh, men's letters. And I, I want to hear to tell you, when I got done with that, when I got up the next morning, there was a complete shift in my consciousness, in my relationships with all women, and you know what else started to happen? I started to work with more women in AA than I cared to work with. And you know what? My whole belief system around women got changed. Everything is connected to everything else. That's what amends really begin to show me. You know, Paul tells about a story, and, 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 this, this to really, it spoke a lot to me when I first heard it. It made me see some more harm I could clean up. But somewhere around five, six years ago, he remembered, now he's like 74, right? He remembered when he was a junior in high school, he stole a pair of football shoes. So he called the high school. Gets a hold of the principal said I was back in high school and I stole a pair of football shoes. I I, I need to clean these up. I need, need to clean this up. He said, "Well, when you're in high school?" Well, shit, that was like 1929. The guy goes, "What?" He said, well, what would it cost to replace a pair of football shoes?" So, he told him, so he took all those years and added some interest and he sent a check for $200. Now, at that time, Paul was uh, he's 49 years sober. He was 45 years sober. Why would a man 45 years sober send a $200 check? Making him in for a pair of football shoes he told he stole when he was a junior in high school. i tell you why. He knows something I know now. Everything is connected. Every harm I've ever put out in the universe, I don't care if it's stealing a candy bar, it's all connected. A man comes to our
1: meeting, 30 years sober. He started the work when he was 27. He gave one of the most humble talks that I've ever heard somebody give with that amount of time because he talked about most of his 27 years were suffering from untreated alcoholism. But see, most of the time you don't know how deep you've been into something until you're out of it. You can't see sometimes how deep, how sick you really are until you're not anymore. And you can't see how these 20 amends, this little pocket of amends, has anything to do with this area over here until you make that little pocket and you're pulled out of that area over here. And he shares and he gets toward the end of his share and he says, I'm down to five amends. And he says a couple things I always listen for. He said, but they're little amends. And they'll be made on, if you ever hear an alcoholic say this, just, you got to kill him, right? You have to just kill him. He says, they'll be made on God's time. Anytime any alcoholic ever says that anything will be done on God's time, they don't mean God's time. They mean their time,
0: right?
1: And he's then made the mistake of saying, and I have cancer, and I don't have long to live. And I cared more about him than anything he might have felt about what I had to say. And I raised my hand, and I said, i got to ask you a question. Are those last five amends really small? This isn't a great story, but I like the point that it makes. A friend of ours says, the idea that there's little amends, I heard it last night, little amends and I've made the big amends. Well see, by the time the big amends are made, the little ones have turned big because they're the ones that are left. I said, the idea that there's little amends and big amends is like thinking you could light the corner of a pan of gasoline. It's like the woman who asks, as asked by the man, Would you sleep with me for 50,000 bucks, honey? She says, sure. He says, what about $5? And she says, what do you think I am, a common whore? He says, we've already established that. Let's just get down to how much, right? (laughs) Terrible story, right? I said, are those five amends really small, and do they have anything to do with you drinking alcohol again? He says, absolutely not. Those five amends have nothing to do with me drinking alcohol again. And as a matter of fact, I'm a little offended that you would ask me that and started to share for about three minutes, talked himself right out of the lie. And by the time he was done sharing, the miracle happened. He said, they're my five biggest amends, my three children and my two ex-wives, and I see the direct connection to alcohol. Thank you very much. I saw him two weeks later. He comes across the room at a meeting. He says, I wanted to thank you. I'm down to one amends. I said, now, Chuck, does that amends have anything to do with whether you drink alcohol again or not? And two weeks later, he called my best one of my best friends, another one of my best friends. <laughs> depending on who he's talking to
0: at that moment.
1: Everybody's my best friends, right? And uh, he says to her, uh, I finished my last amends. I'm more free than I've ever been in 30 years. And I went back to the doctor, and they can't find any cancer in my body. Now, I don't know the connection between unfinished amends and cancer, but I know the connection between unfinished amends and other areas of my life. And I know the connection between unfinished amends and alcohol. And to move into a state where from your head to your heart goes the consciousness that you're current. And you've done everything you've been given the power to be able to do with every amends you're consciously aware of. When we say finished and current, we don't mean there are some amends that are ongoing. My sponsor gets on me all the time when we say finished amends. He says it leads people to believe you're never going to have any more. And it leads people to believe that some of the ongoing ones, some of the living amends have been finished. No, they haven't. That means all my approaches Even the ones I couldn't find, and the book says exactly what to do, send an honest letter. But I am current. I've got amends going on with people that will never be finished. How can you make up to a mother what I've put my mother through? Anyone in this room ever talk to their mother through a plate glass window in a penitentiary on a phone and seen into the eyes of that person? And that's going to be ongoing. Some of you have financial stuff that will be paid and paid, but you've made your approaches and you're current just up to the moment to begin experience what's right here, right now, in this moment. My sponsor put it better than anyone I've ever heard. He said, if your goal is to hear the small, quiet voice, sometimes it's louder, sometimes it's quiet, to hear that small, quiet voice that's in the present and only in the present, you have to get rid of those loud, big voices from the past. Just to get to a place where we can walk into a church or a self-help book or a therapist's office or a spiritual advisor with the kind of power most people walk in or off the street. Just to get current enough to be one of those people sitting at a restaurant with your good friend and say, we need to clear the air. Just to get to a place where you're human, because we don't come to this human. We come to this worse than animals and get taken to a place where you have some power and you can begin to be human. The 10th step is about moving through the day. The 10th step is not a written inventory at night. Bill was really whacked when he wrote the 12 and 12, and he was way off between what he wrote in the big book and what he wrote in the 12 and 12. Three years of LSD and a bunch of niacin and Ouija boards would probably do that to any of us. God bless the guy. But the 12 and 12 don't have shit to do with what's in this book. They wrote it 18 years after they did I'll tell you what. After you do what's in here for 18 years, take a look at what's in the 12 and 12, and you just might be able to begin to understand it because that's when they wrote it. I still read the fourth step in the 12 and 12. I'm baffled. And he confused people because in this book, this big book, the 10th step is about moving through your day. You know what a walking meditation is? The 10th step is a walking inventory. You do as you move through the day, you set up in the morning. The evening review is the inventory at the end of the day. So the 11th step tells you what to do in the morning, throughout the day, when agitated or doubtful. I'll throw this out there. Agitation and doubt are manifestations of indecision and irresponsibility. Because with power, with power, you can move out of agitation and doubt anytime you want. A man said to a friend of mine, he said, Brian... See, Brian is real free to ask questions, but that also means he gets asked a lot, too. Right? He says, Brian, what are doubt and agitation manifestations of? You know, in the 11th step where it says, we pause when agitated or doubtful. Brian didn't think. He said, doubt and agitation are manifestations of ego. Man said, you know what you want for dessert? He said, no. Does that mean you're in ego? You ever come to a street, you're not sure which way you're supposed to go? Does that mean you're back in ego because you have a little doubt or agitation? He says, no. He says, then what are doubt and agitation manifestations of? We couldn't see it. He said, doubt and agitation are manifestations of irresponsibility and indecision, and all you have to do to get out of that stuff is decide and move out of it. 10 and 11 is about moving through your day and watching for stuff to crop up and finding out about proper use of the will along a specific line of desired behavior, all that you wish. The 10th step is about proper use of the will. The instructions of what to do when that stuff crops up are about this much of it. 11 gives you something to do in the morning, throughout the day, and in the evening. Your spirit is wakened up and you start to care about other people. Actually, sometimes more than yourself.
0: Two stories, which I think really sum up a lot of uh, this weekend, a lot of my experience. One of them has to do with uh, my roommate's father. About six months or so, he got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and they just said, you just don't have very long to live. So, my roommate said he knew a priest, and he and I had the same spiritual guide, and so he called this spiritual guide, and he said, what do I do? And uh, Father Benedict said... Your job, your task is to prepare him for death, because he doesn't know how. So my roommate said, well, what does that mean? What what am I supposed to do? And he said, well, obviously you need to go down and see him, but there's really two major things you need to do. The first is that he needs to let everyone know who's been important in his life. He needs to call them and thank them and tell them that he loves them. And he said, what else? And he said, the second thing is, if there's anything going on between him and anybody, he needs to call them and ask him for forgiveness. And he said, if you'll do that, then he's totally prepared for death. And that death will be an easy thing for him. And so Dan shared that to me and I took that into meditation for about a week. And you know what I realized? Is that these steps, I do the first nine steps completely. Continue to do them. And you know what it does? It allows me To be prepared for death. And when I'm prepared for death, then I can live in the now and live life to its fullest. What a deal. What a deal. That's one thing I wanted to share. The other is I read at the beginning what uh, Joe and I hope to do with you all this weekend. We wanted to disturb you a little bit about the question of alcoholism. He wanted to introduce the idea that all this program is about is a desire to find God, and it must come from within you. Now, I'll leave you with one last thing to consider that, again, uh, Father Benedict gave me to consider. I was talking to him a couple months ago, and I didn't realize this, but uh, uh, Carl Young, in his letters to Bill Wilson, made a reference to this. But here's what he said to me. He said, Mark, he said, uh, I've worked with some alcoholics and drug addicts over the years, because the priory's in the right in the heart of Lexington, Kentucky, in a real poor part of town, he said. And this is a conclusion I've come to. And I, I, talked to him about the path of consideration, so he could use some language. So he now he has me consider shit all the time. But those guys are dangerous when you educate them a little. But he's what he said to me. He said I would like you to consider this. He said my experience with people like you is. He said I strongly suspect that you were called to a spiritual life very early in life. And he said that you didn't answer the phone. God probably called you to a spiritual life very early in life, and you didn't answer the phone. you took a drink of alcohol, and that in its own perverse way answered the phone call. And then almost killed you. And he said, then you got sober, and he said, you spent nine years in, in that program doing some of what it asked you to do, and a lot of maybe what it didn't ask you to do, so you once again weren't answering the phone call. Then you started answering the phone call in 91 with what he says you would call the desperation of a drowning man. And he said, you have never been so much at peace and ease in your life. You have never been so used by this power and felt so loved by this power. So he said, maybe what you need to consider doing is from now till however long the power wants you here is to keep answering that phone and understand that short of seeking a relationship with God, nothing is going to satisfy you anymore, Mark. But if you'll do that, then everything will satisfy you. So that's what I'll leave you with. If you've seen your truth in step one, maybe you're just like me. And maybe the truth is that nothing's going to satisfy us except the relationship with God. So quit messing with this damn thing. If you've seen your truth in step one, go through these steps. Do this. Seek that relationship with that power. Then you'll begin to experience some other things that you read about. Be in the world, but not of the world. Seek ye first his kingdom, and all the rest will be added. Things i would read for years that I could never understand experientially. Again, remember this. This program is about experiences. We're not here to conclude about God. We're here to experience God. I thank you all so much for allowing me to share uh, some time with you and getting to know you. You are my fellow brothers and sisters, and I will take you into my prayer life. I will. I want to remind you of something. Do not talk away the experience you've had here. Take some time over the next week or two. Don't go running into meetings and trying to impress people with all the shit you know now. Sit, sit with it. Boy, that'll be a, that'll be a test. You go back somewhere and someone says, how was the workshop? (laughs) Sit with it. What is the task that God has given for you out of this? Ask, ask that in your prayer and meditation. What is the task? And sit with the experience. Don't, don't explain it away. And I hope to see you all again sometime. Thank you all. God bless.